0: Welcome to the Fadeaway with Dion Thomas and Eric Schmidt. Dion is, of course, a former McDonald's All-American and the leading scorer in Illinois men's basketball history. I am Impey's career leader in pickup game turnovers. Today's <laughs> episode promises, though, to be a fun one. This is going to be an awesome one, and I just plan <coughs> to tee things up for you guys for Dion and our guest today, and then just get out of your way and let the stories go. Um, joining us is an icon in Fighting Illini sports history. Twenty-one seasons heading up the men's basketball program, more than four hundred wins at Illinois, an incredible Final Four run with one of the most entertaining teams in NCAA history, and oh yeah, he coached the guy sitting right next to us here <laughs> too. Uh, now's you guys' chance, to, uh, coach. Now's your chance to tell us something that, about Dion that nobody knows. I think this is going to be the fun part today, guys. Oh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah.
0: <laughs> But thank you for letting us in your home today and joining you. And you're still in Champaign. What's kept you guys here, you and your lovely wife, Mary?
1: Of course, uh, this is a great university, and we like to be here. A community that we enjoy being in the state. So it's just our pleasure to live here.
2: Well, I tell you, it's it's great that you're still here. It's great that I get to spend this time with you, Coach. This is truly an honor uh, for me you know, having come up and learned so much from you as a player, as a person, to be able to come back here and sit down in my new lifestyle and and be able to have a conversation with you about your illustrious career. I mean, Eric pointed out what you've done here at Illinois, but you've done this the same exact thing down in Las Cruces, and that's truly, truly amazing. And if you wouldn't, you know, just give it to us, Coach. Tell us a little bit about your journey um, from OK, Oklahoma.
1: Okay, the first thing I want to do is talk about you, Dion. <laughs> I know you—you you probably don't want this—but uh, Dion, you were one of the great players to ever play at the University of Illinois, and the—and the stats back that up. Uh, the four years that I coached you, they were enjoyable years. We had good teams, but we didn't have players like you. we were kind of low in talent, or we would have done better. But you were a tremendous player, a great leader on our team, uh, and ju- it was just a pleasure to coach you.
2: Oh, well, coach, I mean, I appreciate, it. and you know how you know you know how much that means to me. You know, and I don't. I think you remember when I first decided to go into coaching, and I called you from Florida. I said, "Well, Coach, I'm, I'm going to go into coaching." And the first thing you told me was, "Hey, Dion, make sure your players are tough."
1: Well, that, you know that's very important, and that's what we were. We were tough, hard. hard uh, uh, we, we were just uh, an outstanding group of guys that wanted to be good. And they, they'd get out there and uh, put it together every, every practice and every game.
2: And, and I told people, and, and, you know, I've played a lot of basketball in my life, but I don't think we've ever been more prepared, I mean, I have, going into a game than when I played for you.
1: Dean, I, uh, Deon, that's quite a compliment, I'm telling you. I, I appreciate your saying that. And uh, we worked hard to get it done, but uh, some of the time you, fell sh- you fall short of think. Well,
2: you know, I joke with Eric when we talk about scabs, you know, and you get a scab when you get cut. And we had a lot of those during our four years. Like you said, you know, because of the restrictions by the NCAA, we had some walk-ons on the team. But we were never an easy out for no one.
1: Well, Deion, the reason we were tough is because, you know, our offense wasn't good all the time. Not like you. You were one of the great players to ever play here. But the players surrounding you weren't that good. So, consequently, we had to do th- other things to make up for that. And that, the one thing we did is we played great defense. We hit the boards hard. And I think that kept us in every ball game.
2: I, I would agree. And, actually, I get uh, T.J. Wheeler – One of your your toughest players. I remember that we were in practice one day, and we were talking about toughness. And, and, you know, you often got us in together, and we were talking. You were – while you were talking, you looked over at TJ, and you said, hey, TJ, how long have you been tough? And TJ's response was, all my life, Coach, all my (laughs) life.
1: (laughs) And we agree with that. He was a tough young man. Yes,
2: he was. And and the reason I bring him up is because, Coach, he's always riding me, Coach. He says, you know what, I should be in the book for all-time leader and assists. He was like, because Coach always told me I had to give you the basketball. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I will guarantee you, you want to assist, that's the way to get it. Get the ball to you, Dion.
2: And I, I, I tell him, I was like, well, you know, I, I was only doing my job. I was doing my job. I was told to, to put the ball in the basket, and so I put the ball in the basket. And, but he still gives me, here we are 20-some-odd years later, and he's still giving me a hard time for doing my job.
1: Why, sure. Well, well he did a good job assisting, but uh, the other guys did. He wasn't the only th- one getting assists, mm-hmm. throwing the ball to you.
2: <laughs> you know, and one <laughs> that I, I love, um, because everyone always asked me, what was it like to play for you, for Lou Henson, and and I tell him it, it was really a treat for me. You coached us hard, you pushed us, but you were always fair, is what I like. Then people will always ask, "Well, you know, Coach is a very nice man. Did he did he ever get angry?" I say, "Yeah." yeah. <laughs> I, was saying, and I was like, "And when you you knew when Coach is angry, but one of the greatest things about you." And I, I talk to a lot of coaches today, and I listen to a lot of coaches today. And so I tell them, one of the greatest things about Coach Henson, even though he was on us and he was riding us, I never heard him once say a curse word.
1: Well, I never learned to do it. <laughs> uh, that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's a good thing. So, uh, Coach, can you take us back um, to the beginning? I mean, we. I just – Great, a great fact from Eric here about Harden and what you accomplished and what you did at Harden Simmons. Can you please tell us about that? Uh, sure,
1: I'll go back to uh, when I wanted to go to Oklahoma State and play basketball. I didn't get a scholarship, and so my coach said, "Why don't you go to junior college and maybe you can go to a major school?" That's what I did. So I wound up at New Mexico State, and after graduating, I was assistant coach in getting my master's. And then after that, I went to uh, high school, Los Cruces High School. Now, football coaches had been coaching there. It was in a mess, but uh, shortly we we started winning state championships because we had good people. But we had a good program at Los Cruces High, and then uh, we'd won three, and we should have won the fourth straight title. And uh, about two or three weeks after the season, uh, I was teaching mathematics with a guy, and his dad was President Harden Simmons. And he said, "What the basketball job is open. Why don't you apply for that job? I said, they will not hire a high school coach. Well, about a week later, the president called. Uh, he got my attention. Wow. When he said, come down, we'd like for you to interview you. Well, I thought I was going to get the job with him calling. And so meanwhile, New Mexico was trying to get me to come up and be an assistant, offered me a lot of money because they wanted a high school coach who was pretty well-known. And so they offered me a good deal up there. Well, so I go in, and <clears throat> the second day of interviews, uh, they said, well, Coach, you've got the job. We want you to come here. Now, there's one thing I want to correct before I tell you I'll come. You don't have black players. I've never coached without having black players, and I will not accept the job unless you integrate. Well, back then in 62, the eyes rolled. They hadn't expected that. That was something new for them. Well, anyway, would you believe the next day the trustees decided to en- enroll in- or right. integrate? And so uh, guess what? When they decided that and I took the job, I started recruiting. Guess where I went to recruit? Mississippi, because Mississippi State and Ole Miss would not take black players there until years later, two or three or four years later. And so I recruited uh, good players uh, out of Mississippi. I recruited that state, and then I had a sister who recruited these, so, so we had good players. But that's a Hardin-Simmons story, and, uh, and I enjoyed my coaching there. It's, it's a good university.
0: And it wasn't just the basketball team, though. When you you opened that door, you opened the door for the entire university, didn't that, you?
1: That is correct. And uh, so now, and by the way, we had very, very on campus no problems at all. Uh, in the community, occasionally we had something, but most of the time it was uh, uh, free of any problems that might come up. Incredible opportunities. That's great.
2: It is. I mean, and, and that's a story, Coach, that I really want to make sure that we get out. I mean, everyone remembers what you've done here at, at U of I, and, and some will remember what you did at, at New Mexico State. But that's a story that, as much as I know about you, I, I didn't know that. And for you to be a trendsetter, a trailblazer like that, is so much bigger than basketball itself. And, I mean, you, give, you gave so many opportunities to you know, to young black teenagers that never had it. I mean, you you opened the door for them.
1: Well, Dion, when I went in there, uh, you know, I didn't expect them to integrate because I was still in contact with New Mexico, another job, because I just didn't think it would happen. And so when I I told them exactly what I wanted and uh, within 24, 48 hours, they came through and say, we're going to integrate. And so that was a great move for me. I feel good about that. And it's a good move for the university and everybody.
2: Wow. I, 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 to, I don't know what to, <laughs> I'm a little blown away <laughs> here, Coach. I mean, that's, that's tremendous. So after Hardin-Simmons, then it was to New Mexico State.
1: Okay. I coached uh, four years at Hardin-Simmons. We had pretty good ball clubs. And so – The athletic director at New Mexico State, where I played, interviewed men wanted me to take the job. They'd have bad teams, really bad teams. Before I went there, the year there were 4-22. But anyway, we got in there, and would you believe we got the NCAA the first year. I had a small ball club. Texas Western had uh, won the NCAA the year before. We beat them twice. We beat half of the world. We had a small ball club, but they could really play. We had a great year, and then after that, we got, had better talent and had outstanding teams.
2: So this Texas Western team was that the one that ah? So there you go. This is a team that got all of the the pub publicity for, for really for something that you had done
1: yeah. years before. Well, what they did, see, uh, now they had had blacks before, but they hadn't had five blacks to mm-hmm. win the NCAA, and that's what that's where they really got the publicity.
2: Oh wow! There you go. Another note that I didn't know. This is the, yeah. <laughs> this is amazing. So, can you remember who was your first player? Now, I know it wasn't Coach Collins, even though you might he might say that he was. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the first player to come down and and play for you at New Mexico State.
1: The the first player um, I can't remember exactly the first player we we recruited several about the mm-hmm. same time, but. Uh, They they were from Mississippi or the East. And maybe one or two from the state of New Mexico. New Mexico usually has a, a few good players, but not many. So you got to go out of state if you're going to build your team. So uh, I can't remember exactly the one, first one, but we recruited a lot about the same time. Okay, so so you really kind of
2: revolutionized the the speed of the game. I'm going to assume at that time it was a slower pace, and and when you brought in more minority players, kind of quickened the pace. Can you talk a little bit about? How you took and, and what you did at, at New Mexico State? Because again, you're the all-time leading winner. Again, you know, coach wins for a coach, and so I know basketball was a little different. But I would like to see how that transition happened for you.
1: Well, we, you know, when I went in there, we first had, of course, we we want we want to recruit in Mississippi, recruit players there. And as I stated before, uh we wanted to recruit the East and my assistant had uh, his dad lived in Syracuse. We had a lot of contacts there. So those two places, that's how we built the team. We started getting players from each place and uh, that, that that's how we did it.
2: Syracuse, New York, of course. Uh the main recruiter for me, you know, coach Jimmy Collins, so you you had him come in Now, Coach is always giving me a hard time. He gave me a hard time when I was here. He's still giving me a hard time today. What was Coach Collins like as a player?
1: Not near as good as you. Now he'll say he's better, but not near as good as you. Yes, coach yeah. Collins now, let, let is now
0: throwing back. a shoe at, his, at his, his phone. He's throwing the phone. Yeah. I can't believe but I just anyway, heard
1: this. But uh, Rob Evans, yeah, I think you probably know him. Yes, I he do. Is f- one of the first players that uh, I recruited at New Mexico State. Of course, he was an outstanding coach at Arizona State and Mississippi. But we had several good ones. But Rob was probably the first one that we signed, but here, Jimmy Collins. Now, let me tell you about Jimmy. Uh, 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 his dad, had, my my, son, my coach's dad had seen him play. And he said he's a pretty good player. So we wouldn't do anything. And, and I said, well, uh, Ed, when you go up during the summer, you look at him. And then we'll try to decide whether or not we want to take him. Well, Ed looked at him. He said, well, he's a slow, skinny kid who can't jump. And I said, you've said enough. We're not going to take him. Well, then his dad put the pressure on us. We had the scholarship open, and I said, okay, uh, Ed, we're going to take him, but he's going to have to find his way down. So what he did, he got on a bus and rode four days from Syracuse, New York, to Los Cruces, New Mexico. And when he arrived, he thought he had landed on the moon. (laughs) That was different from what he's used to. So that, Jimmy, is one of the first ones that we recruited, and that's he, he he came on his own.
2: Wow. I mean, but that says a lot about him as a person. That says a lot about, you know, you as a coach. Because I remember when I was telling a story one day, he used to always tell us in practice, every day make sure you do something that you don't like because it builds intestinal fortitude. That has kind of been a trademark for me in my life. I I passed that along and I say it to my daughters, which you've been blessed. They've been blessed to meet you. So they've heard that, I don't know, countless times. That shows what Coach Collins was feeling if he took that trip all the way from Syracuse, New York, down to Las Cruces, New Mexico. And you had some really good teams down there, Coach. You did some really good um, um, things. Make it to the tournament. Can you talk a little bit about those teams that you had? Okay, we
1: had three teams. That, we have three teams that uh, might have won it all had not been for UCLA. I mean, they were good. We had Jimmy Collins and Charlie Chris. Charlie Chris uh, went on to play pro ball. He was only five, 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 six and uh, it took him five years, but he finally caught on and played uh, pro ball six, seven years. We had Sam Lacey, yeah, who played for many years in the NBA. And so we had good players, and uh, you gotta, if you're gonna win, you are going to win, you've got to have good players. We had them.
2: Uh, that, that, that is definitely true. You, that was one of the other things that you told me. You said, Deion, when you start recruiting, make sure you bring in the best players that you can get. Coaches are good. But players make coaches great.
1: That's exactly right. You you can't win with uh, if you recruit average people, then you be an average team.
2: Well, I mean, I, and I, you've done a great job recruiting. Of course, after Las Cruces, you you made your way up to Champaign, where. And Things were a little different at that time. Can you talk a little bit about your transition <clears throat> from Las Cruces to Okay, Champaign? well,
1: let me tell you. Uh, One morning, Cecil Coleman, the AD at Illinois, called and said, Coach, would you come up and interview for this job? Would you believe that afternoon Wade Walker, the AD at Oklahoma, called and wanted me to come in? I said, well, I'll come in after. Go No, don't come in after. I want you before... You go to Illinois. And, of course, my relatives live there. You come in two, three days, spend time with your relatives, enjoy yourself, and then we'll interview you. That's what I did. I went in early, kind of a vacation. They interviewed me, and they offered me the job. So that night I called Mary, and I said, Now, look, we've got two institutions here. First of all, Old uh, Oklahoma has everything. The coach just went the pros. All the players are coming back and plenty of money, there's no problem. Now, Illinois is a different situation. They have been to the NCAA in 24 years. The high school coaches are uh, against you. The coaches in Chicago are against you. Uh, you know, and we hadn't had much of a ball club for a long time. So I went over both things to Mary, and I said, Now, look, it's uh, I want you to tell me which one we should pick. You know what she said? Illinois. I thought she was out of her mind after my <laughs> going over and I went over what each one had. Well, she won out like she usually does. And so we came to <laughs> Illinois and it was tough when we came to Illinois. Uh, I had good assistance. Tony Yates was an outstanding, Les Whitkey. And, and so uh, we had we got to build relationships in the state. I said, we're not going to recruit a good player for a year or two or three but we, our goal the first year is to get into five hundred high schools. Just go and visit with a coach, uh, not trying to recruit anybody. We exceeded that; it was over six hundred, wow. and we did that every year. And so then, about the second year, we happened to recruit Levi Cobb, and that was a breakthrough. Then after that, we started getting some good players out of Chicago and in the state, and it, but it took two or three years to get it going. Wow.
2: So was that a a method that you used um, at your previous spots where you would just go out and and meet the
1: coaches? No, we didn't do that. Uh, In the state, I was pretty well known. If we have any players there, we would probably get them. No, we didn't do that. But at Illinois, we felt we had to do something to get the coaches on our side and get people to start thinking the University of Illinois.
2: Wow, well, you, you you as we know, the history follows after that. you did a great job of of getting out and and creating that uh, buzz around the around the university. So first year, you get Levi Cobb. how How'd that first year go?
1: You know, it went pretty well. he He was maybe the second year I was here, and we had a pretty good ball club somewhere around five hundred. Then, after that, we started getting the good players. Then it jumped up. We probably went to the NCAA after that every year, but the, the Levi was the key. We needed to get a, a player out of Chicago, which we did. They hadn't had one in years out of Chicago, and uh, so uh, when I got the job at Illinois, the coaches in the state for the last two or three times they had hired a coach, they wanted a high school coach to be hired. And then when I came in from New Mexico State, they were really upset Mm -hmm. because they wanted one of theirs in here. And you can see why. And uh, so that's why it was tough to turn it around. We had to work hard to get it done.
2: Wow. So that that sounds very similar to what's going on today. I mean, I don't think a lot of people would would have thought that you had to deal with that the way, you know, John and and Coach Underwood and and others before them have had to deal with. The bureaucracy, I guess, uh, of the high school coaches here in the state. So to overcome that, you you got out, walked, you know, got around, sat with six hundred coaches. Yeah.
1: Coach. yeah, that's amazing. Just to chat with them, be friendly with them, and then believe it or not, later on when those guys had a player, they're receptive. See, so we did a good job with the PR, and you you have to do that in any. Job you have, I think you have to be a pretty good PR guy, or you're not going to do the best job you could. Coach, you still
0: have. It's great to have the PR, but you still have to set yourself apart. What was your hook for those early recruits?
1: Well, we tried to tell them the uh, the, uh, what we had at the University of Illinois—a great school academically and a great uh, uh, arena. In a in a super league, and we just need to get get some labor players going. And once we got a pretty good player too, they helped us recruit. When you, when you, that's the best way to get it done is get your players helping you. Who was your best player recruiter? Deion Thomas <laughs> <laughs> still is. Yeah, I know. I know he's still the recruiting horse.
2: Of course, well, Coach. You know, I when when I came here, you, you know, my situation was difficult. Um, yeah. My mom had her drug problem. It was really just me living with my grandmother. And, and one of the things I can say, you you and, and Coach Collins really made that transition easier for me. Um, I, I tell people how when I was here, especially that first year, when when the university redshirted me,
1: yeah
2: and how I kind of rebelled and wouldn't come to practice the way you wanted me to come to practice and actually the way I should have come to practice. I didn't remember those
1: days. <laughs> I remember you being in practice every day and beating up on our guys. Well, I, I, I don't want to remind. I, should, I probably shouldn't bring that up. Maybe we might
2: may have to ask that part. No, but I'm actually um, I'm writing a book, and a large portion of that will be what I took from the lessons that you uh, tried to give me at that time. Because later on in life, I realized how the lessons that you were trying to give me. I didn't get them at the time. Like most high school students don't get it. And in today's basketball, which was different, uh, I think a little different back when I was playing, because it was really the relationship you had with the assistant coaches. And then the head coaches were kind of uh, apart from that. But you always were able to get guys to understand that you cared about them, even though, you know, the the structure was a little different. Not like now. Everybody wants to – the coach wants to be friends with everyone, you know, and didn't understand the hierarchy. We had a hierarchy, but yet the guys understood that you cared about them. Can you talk a little bit about
1: just that and how you did it? First of all, there are two things you need to keep in mind. If you care about the players and you're fair with them, uh, then you're going to be okay. You've got to be fair with the players. They know whether or not you are, and they know whether or not you care about them too.
2: Mm-hmm. And I agree. I, I tell people the, the stories of when uh, I can't remember exactly. We were in practice, and I was down on the other end of the court messing around. I think it was with Brooks Taylor and, and Rob, um, Robert Bennett, and you made me run the stairs in the assembly hall.
1: That was the only I can't th- believe I made my star <laughs> player run the stairs. What kind of a coach is this who would do that? <laughs> the right coach. That's what that was.
2: The right coach. And that was the only time I ran the stairs. Although I did have one other time I had to run for missing class one time. Well, oh,
1: I, I never
2: remember you missing class. Because it wasn't, Coach, it only t- I, it, I didn't bang my head up against the wall. Yeah. So you <laughs> learned,
0: you learned. See, all the high school students yes. listening here, this is,
2: you, you <laughs> learned your lesson the first time. And, and this is why I want this and I want to talk about this because the first time I missed class was my freshman year. And, again, I wasn't playing, but you found out that I missed class and you had Coach Nagy take me out on the football field at five o'clock in the morning. Now, you and I know how fiery Coach Nagy was, and I, yes, we do. And, and all of the, um, how should I say, the expletives, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that Coach would use to get you in, in shape. And, and I tell my daughters the story, Coach, because I would early in the morning on, uh, on at Memorial uh, Stadium, it's always foggy. So you always got this big, dense fog on the field. So I'm running from inline line to inline line. From, from, uh, so I'd hit one, and I'd be coming back the other way to 100 yards. And I guess as Coach Nagy would see me coming through the fog, he'd start yelling at me. You got me out here at 5 <laughs> o'clock in the morning. Da, da, da. And, I, and, and I could hear his voice tail off as I go into the distance. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then i come back. And what you were trying to teach us, this was not a punishment of, okay, you're, I'm going to punish you. This was a lesson on doing the right thing and right. being accountable. Right. This is something that I believe, and, and in my line of work now as I work at UIC and I direct the community outreach program there, that we're trying to teach kids to be responsible. And this was always one of the lessons that you taught us. Can you talk a little bit about just the lessons that you always wanted to give uh,
1: to us as players? Well, of course, we, we want them to go and get a good education, and then, uh, then get a job and do a great job uh, with a job. Be dedicated, be prepared, and uh, and you'll be in good shape.
0: Yeah, you know, I, 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 the life. It's it's we talk about the life lessons that we that you guys as coaches and how important that yeah. is and. Uh, all the things that you've learned from Coach yeah, yeah. Henson to do that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And, Coach, you, I mean, you've had some, some – I'd just like to talk about some of the great players that okay, you've coached.
1: Okay. I've, okay. I've, I've, I want to talk about one right now. Mm-hmm. Eddie Johnson, he's one of the top players. Levi Cobb, but then we recruited him, and he was well – he was recruited all over the country. Mm-hmm. So we're happy to get him. So the first year, I didn't start him. He, he couldn't play any defense at all and so he wouldn't play any defense so we didn't start him. but then he became a star and scored over 20 point 20,000 points in the NBA and uh, he wrote a book maybe now I want you to write a book I want it to be bigger and better than this one. yeah
2: <laughs> well that is yeah. the plan. Yeah. Um, you know Eddie Johnson's book actually whose record I broke here at Illinois. Uh, to become the all-time leading scorer, and Eddie, being the great player and the person that he is, he called me that night and congratulated me on breaking oh, the record, which
1: was which was truly amazing, especially for someone. Yeah, that's like special. It. There's really something special for him to do that.
2: And that goes to show, you know, the type of people you recruit and, and the lessons you give. But I, I love the title of his book, "You Big Dummy <laughs> An athlete's Simple Guide to a Successful Career." And you know, to this day, Eddie and I speak every once in a while uh, we keep the, we keep in contact on facebook and and through text messages and phone calls, and he's one of the people that i uh Bounce questions and ideas off of because of, like you said, his experiences. I mean, yeah. his experience here at Illinois, his experience afterwards with Phoenix and, and what he's done. And now I, I do have to punt, give him a little bit on this one. You mean there's a, a, a kid that played basketball on the west side of Chicago that don't play defense? <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, he, I'll guarantee he didn't. <laughs> but just, he did. He learned defense and became a pretty good defensive player. And, of course, uh, he hit the winning shot to beat Michigan State when they were number one. And he got all kinds of credit for that. They didn't say anything about the guy who drew up the play. <laughs> Eddie got all the credit. I drew up the play. They didn't even mention it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, sometimes they, they don't remember that.
2: But I'll tell you one story that they do remember. The day I got the technical file. The technical. You remember that? Oh, well, I try for try to so, forget it. I don't. I don't think I remember. Uh, I'm sitting there on the where uh, we call a timeout. You bring us over to the sideline. Can't remember exactly who we're playing. You you wrote down a note. It was in Iowa. It was Iowa. You say uh, yeah. uh, you say Dion, take this to the ref. And I think it was uh, Doctor Hightower at that time. So I, I walk over, and he says, Dion, don't give me that. I say, well, I have to give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> coach Coach told me to give it to you. He was like, Deion, don't give me that. So I put it out there in front, and he took it. And the next thing you hear is beep,
0: uh, technical, technical files. files. Yeah. You said, one way or another, I'm not playing the rest of this game. Yeah. Either I hand this to you or I'm going to be sitting the rest of the game anyway. Well, well I wait. didn't get ejected. I did not get ejected, okay, but go. I showed well, up you the took technical that. You <laughs> took the better of the two Let options. It
1: was on that uh, sheet of paper. The Fouls, uh, something like 17 against us, seven against Iowa. So I put that down. I said, Dion, you give it that referee. So that's why he got a technical, and I got, <laughs> I probably got one too. No, but it was funny. And
2: I was actually, when I took the job at Lewis and Clark, yeah. uh, one of the reasons I, I lived in Edwardsville is because Dr. Hightower was the superintendent. Oh, yeah. And at my, um, press conference where we were doing that was the very first thing he brought up. He was like, You remember when I gave you that technical <laughs> file for giving me that note? I said, Of course I do. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> well those were those were some gay there, And and those are things that you yeah. don't see today. I mean you were, yeah. coach, I have to say, you were yes, you were fiery on the sideline. Yes, you you were tough on us and demanding and you pushed us to be the best that we could be, especially when we were shorthanded with playing with walk-ons, sure, you, you still sure, pushed yeah, us, yeah. and the way you did it with such grace—I I don't think there are very many coaches that do it today like you.
1: Well, Dion, I, I like to hear you talk. Keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> There's money being passed over but, the but table right talk, now as I we're talking talk about Dion. You know, I watch all the Big Ten games, and of course, he does the color. And I'm telling you, Dion. and I watch games all over the country. I don't know of anybody who does a better job of analyzing the game than you. You're tremendous how you, how you analyze the game. A lot of these other guys just talk, but you actually tell them what is going on. You do a tremendous job. Well, thank you, Coach. And I think that
2: comes from the combination of playing and, and coaching, but I think it comes more so from learning, from the coaches that I've had. I mean, Bob Hamrick to start off out of high school at Simeon. Then I came down to play for you at Illinois. And then when I went on to play in, in Europe, I had some great coaches from over there. So I was really able to learn the game from the right
1: coaches. Bob Hamrick was a tremendous coach and a great friend. We miss him a lot.
2: Yes, very, very much so. I mean, he, he, he laid the foundation for me, and, and you took it and you molded the rest of me. And, and I am truly, um, grateful. Uh, for for everything that you've you've done for me throughout my life, even those things that I didn't really realize were important until afterwards.
1: You are probably mad at me because I would let you shoot three-point shots.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It was so funny. I was telling – Eric actually has a story. I'm going to let him tell a story, but we were just with Coach Faye, the women's basketball coach, and and I said that very thing. Not that I was mad, but (laughs) But I did tell him after Eric told his story to Coach Faye. I I was like, yep, but Coach wouldn't let me shoot three. (laughs)
0: well all right so i'll keep the story short we wind up against each other at impy at the time uh the circumstances aren't important and i come out i shouldn't have been playing against him and but i have to guard him and i said just don't dunk on me and so by the end of the game we lost 11 to nothing and dion hit five threes which are worth two in pickup games (laughs) and promptly after releasing the last one for 11 said i didn't dunk on you (laughs)
2: <laughs> thanks for scoring oh, 10 out of 11 right in my grill appreciate yeah, that yeah. well I will say I might have had a few more points but I would not have shot over 60% oh, <laughs> that man. percentage yeah. would have dropped a long way if I was out
0: there shooting you shot 100 three, so. that afternoon I can, I can attest to that
1: well, I'll tell you one thing the and defense around, wasn't so good though that post area he is deadly uh, no, he was such a 6'8 and a great athlete he had the moves Nobody could stop him. Nobody could stop Deion inside.
0: Coach, when did you see that? When did you see, you know, did you realize that he could walk out of here as the leading scorer in in Illinois history?
1: Well, well, as soon as I saw him a little bit, it didn't surprise me because uh, we haven't had a player who can score like he did within 15 feet of the basket. Just a tremendous job.
0: So, do you can you take credit for the fadeaway that he shot, which is how we've named the anything podcast? That as well, anything does right,
1: I'll take credit. For <laughs> Good,
0: <laughs> I like that. You know, you've had such great te- great players: Eddie Johnson, Derek Harper, Ken Norman, Nick Anderson, Kendall Gill, of course, Dion. You've had some incredible players come through here. A lot of folks remember that '89 team, though. Uh, I can tell you, you know, I didn't play high school and college basketball. But that's really one of the reasons how I wound up at Illinois, just from an academic standpoint, the entertainment and learning about the school from those runs. When did you realize that that team, with the athleticism and the speed and the swagger that they had, oh, yeah. when did you realize you had something special?
1: Well, I knew early that we had something special. Now, in, in 88, uh, we, this same team, that 88, that played 89, 88, we went down to play LSU, and they had a great ball club. Uh, and at halftime, we had a ten-point lead, and then after about seven or eight minutes, I looked up, we had a hundred. I put in, I took out the first team and put in the second, and they were hotter than the first team. So what happened? Dale Brown, the coach here, has been a friend of mine for years when he's at Utah and all. So I put the second team in, but they increased the lead, and I and I told him, I said, now look. Dale, I, I tried my best to uh, keep the score down by putting the subs in. He said, I know that. But I'll tell you what, I, th- I knew that night that we had something special. Then we went on, and that team should have been NCAA. In the finals of the regionals, we played uh, uh, Villanova. Villanova, and we had a 12-point lead with three to go. Now, how are you going to lose that game? They fouled us five or six straight times we missed every free throw. Wow. And they made three-point shots, and that's how they beat us. We should have been the Final Four that year because then we had the same team the next year.
2: Mm. Well, I think that's another story not a lot of people realize.
1: Practice your free throws. Yeah, you got <laughs> to make them. But you know something else I found out? If you're not a good free throw shooter coming into college, you won't be when you leave. And now that 88, 89 team... That was a good team, but uh, uh, but not a great shooting team. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't have three point shooters. We make one every now and then, but I mean, inside fifteen, eighteen feet, we had the moves. We could score, but it, we just weren't a great outside shooting ball club.
2: Yeah, and, and that's important. You you know, if you can't stretch the floor, then that causes a problem. Yeah, which
1: you're not going to miss five straight free throws if you shoot.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that 89 team and, and that was really one of the biggest reasons that, you know, I, I was an Illinois fan before that. But of course, being in Chicago, you have DePaul and, and right, all those right. other guys, especially during that Mark Aguirre area. But that 89 team really is what ignited me, the 88-89 team, and being able to watch them. And they added, like you said, a, a sense of excitement and swagger and those things. I mean, because before that, remember, everybody was wearing the little short shorts. Those shorts got a little bit longer with that 89 team.
1: I know. They certainly did. Well, that team, that we weren't real big, our postman is 6'6", but they were all about the same size, and uh, they could play. And uh, it's just a shame they didn't win it. But we had some we had some injury problems. That, uh, and the original battle was walking out and 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 w- slept on water and sprained his knee. He couldn't even play that that game. We tried to play him a couple of minutes, but then we had another injury. So and we'd beaten Michigan badly. Twenty we had him down twenty five at Michigan with three minutes going to sub We beat him about eighteen. See, but and would everything was went against us in the final four. We should have wanted. We should have won it two years in a row, really.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, we, we've talked basketball. We've talked hoops. We've talked players. I don't know how many people realize what you started with the Orange Crush because now the Orange Crush is is one of the, if not the best, student organizations, uh, uh, fan bases in the country. A lot of people have copied us,
1: but not a lot of people know that you started that. Well, you're right about that. It is the best student Support group in the USA. I've been to a lot of schools. I've talked to a lot of people. Nothing can compare with this. Well, in this living room here, when we found out we had no support, no support. So the living room, we had seven students in, and that's how we formed the Orange Crust. And the first game, we made up 60 jerseys, passed them out, and not even half of them showed up. We just had no interest in whatsoever. The first game, we had about, about 3,000 people there. But uh, we worked hard to build that up, and then at the same time, we had no rebounders from
3: mm-hmm. the community
1: support group. So we started that one that year, and now they've been up to maybe 1,200-some years. So so those two groups are have really helped the U of I, and we feel good about it. Uh, Getting them going.
2: Well, I tell you, uh, you know, and I, I, I neglected to mention the rebounders, but the rebounders were tremendous and are tremendous for what they do for the basketball program. And all of this is because of you. I mean, you are, and I used the word earlier, icon. And I don't think a lot of people really understand because they they know what you did on the basketball court, but they don't know what you've done for the game of basketball. Period. I mean from an integration level to what you've done at two institutions being the all-time leader and wins, you know, to having and I think you might be Eric, you correct me on this, the only coach that has two floors named after him.
1: Two, John Wooden and <laughs> Illinois, I see. So mention it again. Make sure they understand that. <laughs> the, um, exactly. Two courts.
2: <laughs> two courts. Hall of Famer. Coach, I can't say enough. Uh All right about how much i love you and and i know the other players do and i told you earlier i would mention your your partner here your partner i shouldn't say a partner in crime but i you know that's why i call my wife she's my partner in crime but as a coach and as a player i know how important your spouse is well why don't you you let's
1: put her on let her talk to you a minute go ahead
2: please please this would also this is a huge honor to have Mrs. Mary Henson give us just a, a little bit, because I know you've, you've been behind coach all this time, taking you know, a little bit, I guess a little bit about the journey for you, because a lot of people don't understand how difficult this is for the wives, so I'd like to give you a little bit of time to tell how you've propped this guy up and made him great, because like they say, behind every great man is a great woman.
3: Well, thank you, Dion. It's my pleasure to be with you. Um, since you are one of my very favorite it's like picking <laughs> children though you know <laughs> I can it, uh, you know picking a favorite child how do you do that? but you're always one of my all-time favorites. but <clears throat> it is a team effort in a family of coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to uh, give the, the spouse has to step forward and be there when the her husband or wife, uh, is out uh, doing all the coaching you have to be there for the kids and so forth we had we had three kids under three early on and uh, we would take them to the ball games whenever we could that was when we were at the high school level and I'd take them so they could see what dad did and and all and we just involved ourselves in his life we totally immersed ourselves in his career and I think actually that's almost the way it has to be Mm -hmm. if you're going to survive through the years and for your husband to be successful and for you your children to be um happy and achieve and so forth. You just have, they have to feel that they are part of the team. And, and I
2: think that's huge. I mean, because you, you you talk to, or I talk to, and especially when I was involved in coaching, I see a lot of my um, people that I knew and, and, and they were going through divorces. They were going through these different things. And I think it was because everyone was trying to be separate. So to hear that you know and that's a tidbit that maybe more <laughs> coaches wise and, and coaches need to understand is that it is a team i mean it's a unit it's one unit and as coaches always tell us we have to play together you have to be together so it's great to hear that you make that point about immersing yourselves mm-hmm. and, and making it your life as well because you can still have your 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 individual things that you like to do but really supporting um your husband or your wife and, and whatever things
3: they're doing is is seems to be a lost art today, unfortunately. Well- it's been 62 years for us that I've b- wow. been immersing myself. I'm well, well immersed now. You could be a coach now. <laughs> well, I am. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I used to, He used to come home. Would, would you please explain to them why you picked Illinois over Oklahoma? Oh, great one. That. See, he's, a, he's an <laughs> Okie. Okay. I grew up in oh, Illinois. North avenue, straight west, one hundred and twenty miles mm-hmm. little home little town of Lanark, Illinois, is where I grew up uh, on a farm near Lanark. And so, mm-hmm. hey, there wasn't any uh, there wasn't any contest in where we should go. Right. It was always <laughs> Illinois for me, <laughs> but but he he did have to be convinced much, I have to say. in fact, This is sort of interesting. Um, Every year when we lived in New Mexico, we would throw the kids in the station wagon and drive all the way to northern Illinois. We'd stop in Oklahoma, visit the relatives there. We'd go right uh, up to um, uh, Lanark and visit my side of the family. And we uh, always were... We wanted our kids to know that side of the family and Mm -hmm. you know we are their cousins and we we each had large families we came from large families and so we would do that and so one summer it was probably 1963 I think we we were He was the AD, and by by the way, he was the AD in several of these places where you're talking about. He was the AD at Hardin-Simmons, and he was an AD at New Mexico State while he was coaching basketball. You talk about immersing yourself. (laughs) Well, well, anyway, so we we thought, well, we're going to build this building, uh, a new uh, gym in uh, Las Cruces. We wanted to see... The premier building at that time, Mm -hmm. the assembly hall at Champaign, Illinois, we wanted to come here and see that. So here we come, the kids in the back of the station wagon. We drive into the assembly hall lot and get out and walk in, and would you believe the the head coach was home. He was Harv Schmidt. Mm. He was there. And we knew Harv from New Mexico because he was the assistant at New Mexico, at the University of New Mexico, before he came to Illinois. Oh. He was he grew up in Kankakee, but he he was the assistant at New Mexico. So so he gave us the first tour. Wow. The first time we ever saw the assembly hall. And oh my God, we thought it was a palace, you know. It was just fabulous. This was 1963. Of course, it's still a palace, but uh, we just fell in love with it. And then we went, we took the ideas that we got there and took it back. And Lou helped build the arena, which is the was the premier arena in the Southwest. The um, Pan American Center is the name of our arena. And so, uh, that was that was a real eye opener. And never in a million years did I ever think that we would be coming to the to the University of Illinois a wow. few years later. About ten about ten years later, as a matter of fact, twelve years later. And now your name is on the court. I as know. Well. <laughs> I mean, let's you know. Well, it's just an, an amazing Tell them thing.
1: Who, who else? Would take? Tate.
3: Oh, Tate. I forgot that. I forgot to say mm-hmm. that it was the first time we ever met Lauren Tate. <laughs> he was there. <laughs> he was there and uh, talking. I think he was in Harv's office. Yeah. And so we actually got to talk to him.
0: He might be there right now. Yeah, yeah. he may not have left. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah sure.
3: but but uh, now you left out some important things when you were talking about coming here. If we
0: have fact checking here. How I like that. Would be <laughs> nice.
3: One of the important things was to show you how bad it was as far as PR uh, at that time in '75. He. Uh, when we came here and they named Lou, uh, you probably don't. You're too young for this, but the headline in the local paper was Lou Who? Wow! That was the headline. So you can t- see how welcoming they were. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for a while. Well, anyway, so that was that headline. The Chicago Tribune headline was. That um, Don, uh, uh, Don, Don Devoe. Uh, yeah, Don DeVoe named head basketball coach at Illinois. They actually ran that. <sighs> it's like a Truman Dewey headline. You don't even know who. But <laughs> yes, absolutely. But, I was a journalism school okay. grad. Oh yes, we well, learned anyway, about this. that's what it said. Don DeVoe named Illini basketball coach. I still have that headline. Believe me. Wow. And so after that came out in the Chicago Tribune, that was the big paper that my family got. And I had told them the day before that Lou had this job, and I swore him to secrecy. Well, so that paper came out, and they all started calling me. And they said, Mary, Lou didn't get the job.
0: (laughs) He didn't tell you?
3: (laughs) And I said, trust me. He has the job. Just ignore the Tribune. Oh, my God. (laughs) So anyway, th- those were two sort of interesting things that happened when he was hired. And, and
2: those are definitely interesting <laughs> Well, I say that. I bet you they know who he is now.
3: <laughs> well, enough said for me. Leon, I didn't plan
1: I, I, I didn't I didn't think about her spending ten minutes talking. <laughs> <laughs> Only one or two. She took over she took more air time than I did.
2: Well, I, you, that's what that's what our wives do. I mean, I they, know, don't, they don't I get know. a chance to express they, themselves, Coach, so they it's they time to let them go. They certainly do. <laughs> well, Coach, I, I have to thank you and and thank Mary for allowing both Eric and I into your home. I was telling him when we drove up, it's been so long since I've been here, but it's so good yeah. to be back here. And I think I speak for Eric in saying this is truly an honor, again, for me. Um, and and allowing us to come and sit and have a conversation with you both.
1: Dion, it's our pleasure to have you, and we want you to come back, and we'll see you from time to time. And, Eric, good to see you and get a chance to visit with you, and it's really nice to be a part of your program. And
3: good luck.
2: Thank good you. Good luck
3: with your program.
2: Thank you. So from the fadeaway, I'm going to say thank you again, and we're going to sign off. Eric? That's it. Thanks for joining
0: us. Thanks for listening. And thank, thank you. you for everything. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and big thanks to Chris Hartwig from Painless Networking for sharing the Painless Network podcast space with us. Chris hosts great sports guests each week on his Painless Network podcast. You can subscribe or download those episodes if you have not already. And if you like the music you heard on this episode, that was coming around from fellow Illini Marty Casey. It's on Marty's latest album, The Ground You Walk On, now available on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Google Play. Until next time, thanks for checking out The Fadeaway.